So this morning, I get to read our scripture passage. It's Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Um, it's page 909 in your Red Pew Bibles, and it'll also be on the screen. Um, then I get to introduce our uh, guest preacher this morning. So Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so this morning I get to bring up our guest preacher, Ben McBride. Um, Ben has a, a long history of pastoral work and nonprofit leadership in the Bay Area. He's currently the co-director of PICO, California. Um, but to me, I'm just, to keep it real, I'm really excited Ben's here. So um, Ben has been a friend. I've learned a lot from him. Um, he's encouraged me at many times on my own journey of ministry in Oakland. Um, so I'm just really excited he can be here with us. So let's give him a warm welcome. Good morning. <laughs> I was looking up, I was like, is it afternoon yet? And I'm like, no, it's not afternoon yet, but it'll probably be afternoon by the time we're done. So good morning. Uh, good to be here. Don't worry, that doesn't mean I'm going to preach for an hour. Um, when I started off preaching 20 years ago, somebody told me, don't make people happy twice. Happy to see you get up, happy to see you sit down. So we're aim, we'll aim for one happiness. Uh, for some reason, I felt like breaking into Pharrell singing, I'm happy, but for some reason, that just doesn't seem like a good potential YouTube moment. So, um, so I'll just say I'm happy. It's good to be here with people who are also um, trying to figure out what does it mean for us to follow Jesus, um, to try to think about uh, what does it mean to conspire is a word that I love, uh, conspire uh, with God um, to uh, join the movement uh, that God is doing in the world. Started a long time before us. Pretty sure it's going to go a long time after us, uh, trying to figure out uh, what's our role uh, in it. So, um, so good to be here. If, if I could, I just want to start off with a uh, uh, word of prayer. Lord, I just want to say thank you um, for this day, for being here. Thank you for the opportunity and invitation for us to continue to think about um, what it is that you're trying to do, not just in the world, but what it is that you're trying to do in us. And so, Lord, my prayer is that as we read your words, reflect on them, uh, that your spirit would speak what it is that we need to hear in this moment uh, for this time um, so that we can be made uh, anew. Lord, I pray you take my agenda, uh, the, the broken things that I bring into moments like these uh, that are less helpful and cause your spirit to um, be large with all of us. Uh, magnify yourself within and among us, uh, and we'll give you all the praise. We say this in Jesus' name. 
Everyone say amen. amen. Is that Jane? What's up? I haven't seen you in a long time. It's good to see you. I literally was just asking Nate. I was like, does Jane still go here? He was like, yeah, so it's good to see you. Um, all right, sorry. I just had to say what's up to somebody I haven't seen in a long time. I'm going to uh, be talking with us for um, a few uh, minutes today around uh, this topic called Be a Witness. Um, you know, we're living in a time where uh, the world continues to, as Dr. King said, be all upside down. The world is all messed up. Um, it seems like we uh, try to put one foot forward and there's so much energy pushing us two steps back. Um, violence is in the land, um, whether that is from uh, racist folk attacking young women on BART trains, um, young black women on BART trains, unaccountable police officers, Many of our loved ones trapped in the cycles of systemic oppression, a rigged system, our Jewish relatives being massacred as they worship, um, people fighting here in our region to maintain their generational rootedness, and uh, others uh, that are related to us are underneath the freeways and displaced. And all in the middle of this, uh, we still have signs of hope, glimmers of success that uh, even though we have to see all of these different uh, crosses, as I like to call them, on our own Golgotha Hills, um, we still are seeing stories of resurrection. Uh, there's resurrection stories uh, with the violence reduction that's happened here in Oakland, where there were people who uh, followed Jesus and decided that they would close their proximity to other folks who had, um, you know, been... Uh, named as people that needed to be thrown out of the community and we've been able to see the communities made safer. We've seen resurrection stories popping up of formerly incarcerated relatives moving from being outsiders into being uh, insiders, passing laws and changing systems. Uh, we've seen even resurrection stories years ago of uh, angelic tattooed young people from Ferguson prophesying in Mike Brown's tomb that our hope is not dead but rather it's risen and we should go find manifested hope back in the hoods of our Galilee. There's resurrection stories uh, all around us um, and we're just living constantly uh, in this margin between resurrection and death and pain and challenge. Amidst all of the resurrection, um, I think it does give us hope to recognize that death does not have the last say um, and in the middle of that, I think there's a lot of invitation continuing uh, to invite us to think about what does it mean to follow uh, that brown-skinned Palestinian Jew who lives on the other side of the uh, Roman Empire. Um, because you, you all do know, you know, there's a lot of Jesuses out there in the world, right? You know, it's like, is that slide up there? Yeah, you know, so there's like the white Jesus, the black Jesus, the brown Jesus, even uh, uh, API Jesus. There's a, the, the funny Jesus, the Jesus that doesn't look funny, the Jesus that uh, doesn't want to have too much fun at all, a conservative Jesus and a liberal Jesus, right? Everybody's got a Jesus, right? And, and, you know, depending on what Jesus people have, I think sometimes people pick a Jesus so that that Jesus can lead them in the world that they really want to have. Actually, I'm not going to put it up there because it might be too traumatizing, but I was just sent um, a billboard from St. Louis last night uh, that's all over St. Louis, uh, Missouri, with a picture uh, of the current president of this country um, with the tagline, make the gospel great again, and under the picture of the president, uh, that the word has been made flesh and, and dwelt among us and encouraging everybody to vote in that way. 
we got a lot of stuff going on in this country right now. And I think it's hard for us sometimes to think about uh, how we find uh, resurrection. Um, but I just want to um, talk not about just all these Jesuses that, that are out there, but I want to talk about the Jesus of the scripture. Uh, I want to talk about that dark-skinned, 33-year-old, uh, unarmed Palm Sunday protester. Everybody say, that Jesus. All right, so if you, if you haven't caught the drift yet, I'm going to turn you into a black congregation for the next 15 minutes, and don't worry, you'll be all right when you go home and you put back on whatever suit it is you want. Uh, I'm talking about that temple riot-inducing troublemaker who was killed by the police state. Everybody say, that Jesus. This is the Jesus that we call Christ, and I think we must struggle, as his disciples did in the early centuries, for what it means to keep joining that Jesus in creating the world that God is making. So I think as we think about that, we think about all the challenges that are happening in this moment, I think the wrong first question is what do we need to do? The right first question is who do we need to become? And how does that becoming a new people fuel a new kind of doing that ultimately creates the kind of world that God is seeking to manifest in and around us? You know, we're living in the American empire and the danger of empire is that it teaches you how to become imperial. Oppression teaches you how to oppress. And amidst trying to follow the divine freedom fighter and savior we have, we must determine how we will defeat the monster without becoming one. That if we're going to join God's holy revolution, it means we're going to have to take a different orientation around power. That's not about mirroring what's broken in the world, but it's actually about us becoming something new and different. The thing I love about the whole story of Jesus is, is that God comes to renew the world, but he does so by birthing grace in the bottom of the empire, in the bottom of a societal order, totally taking apart the notions of what man would think about where you bring change and where you bring power. And so becoming new versions of ourselves means that we're going to have to hear God differently. Although the prophet Isaiah 55 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts your thoughts. So for the next few minutes, I want to explore this challenge of what we might desire and who God might be calling us into becoming that we may be a reflection of God's light. Nate, throw me that little white towel right there. I got so excited in your it's feeling very affirming. I'm very thankful. <laughs> We're all jokers all the time. Hopefully you guys are too. In this story, Acts chapter 1, Jesus is resurrected. This is a very interesting passage to me because in Acts 1, Jesus is resurrected and he's engaging his disciples about the kingdom or kingdom, as some call it, of God. He's engaging them about a new world that God is making. Right. It says he goes around with them for 40 days talking to them about the kingdom of God. I mean, I always just have to put a quick note um, because there is a difference between uh, the gospel about Jesus and the gospel that Jesus preached. You're supposed to say amen. 
Well, amen really means if you agree, but you probably didn't agree, but thank you for the affirmation anyway, right? But, I mean, there, you know, Jesus came and wasn't necessarily preaching, hey, I need, you know, I'm going to die on the cross and I need everybody to pray a certain prayer so that you can make sure you get spiritual life insurance when you die. That really wasn't what Jesus was preaching. Jesus came on the scene and said, I'm coming to turn the world upside down, make all things new, reconcile all people in the creation. God's getting ready to turn this whole story around. So Jesus resurrected now is trying to put this message inside his disciples and talk about what this last three years really meant, what it was all about, the, what the cluster of feeding the 5,000 and, and, and raising Lazarus from the dead and healing blind Bartimaeus, what it was all about, the teachings, the sermons on the mount and, 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 and not stoning uh, the woman and, and, and all of these stories. He's, he's clustering it all to say what it's about is this kingdom of God. And, and all the disciples wanted to talk about was, is it that this time that you're going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? And isn't that sometimes where we find ourselves? God's trying to have a big conversation with us around some very big concept and ideas and transforming the world around us. And we just want to know, so is it at this time that I get in charge? <laughs> I mean, that's all cool, Jesus. I appreciate that. Appreciate your nice little noble ruminations that you're having, you know, while you're down there smoking hash in Galilee. But I just want to know, sorry if that bothered anybody, but I just want to know, you know, what's in it for me? But Jesus is trying to push his disciples because even though they are followers of Jesus, they still need to become different versions of themselves. Now, they also have just experienced a horrible six weeks where they watched Jesus be crucified on the cross, where they were suspected by the Roman Empire of having stolen the body of Jesus to start this weird social movement where people around them have questioned, are you guys that one that's been with that agitate Nazarene that we took care of? And, you know, on their papyrus book, you know, there was all of this, you know, hashtagging about making Rome great again, right? You know, at least in the Bible that I read, maybe not Charles, but, you know. They're living in the middle of all of this challenge and trouble. Jerusalem is a hotbed, a dangerous place to be for them in this moment. And Jesus tells them, as he's having this conversation with them, around what needs to happen and how they need to become new versions of themselves that could join God in the world that God is making. Jesus tells them to stay in Jerusalem. He tells them to stay in Jerusalem because they'll become who God needs them to be to create this new world, not by avoiding the risks, the pain, the danger, the struggle, but actually giving yourself over into the middle of it. I think that's a hard saying and a hard reality. But I believe that in following Jesus, we have to stay in some places we might not want to stay in. Places of obvious risk and danger, places where we're rocking with Jesus and for the Jesus way, but those ways are oftentimes not popular nor protected. That in order for us to become who we must, we're called not to run away from the hard place, but rather to allow that hard place to make us better. That the gift of God is coming to us, not when things are right, but actually in the middle of when things are most wrong. But what do we do when we've all been socialized to find God in the middle of what's right? That God exists where the blessing is. God exists when my money's the greatest, when my body's the healthiest. 
God exists when I've got the most friends. God exists when the political party that I support is in power. That's when I know God exists. But maybe God's trying to tell us something different. That in order for me to make the world that I'm trying to make and you becoming the person that I need you to become and you all becoming the people that I need you to be, I'm going to make that happen by you not finding your way to stay around the people that make you most comfortable, but actually by pushing yourself into the margins and the wrinkles of society that actually are the most challenging and the most painful and the most hard for us. But it's counterintuitive. It's opposite our human instinct. Human instinct isn't bad. But human instinct operates from a place of scarcity, while Holy Spirit operates from a place of abundance. Human instinct fueled by fear. Holy Spirit fueled by faith. Galilee for the disciples is where they wanted to go. It's where they went after Jesus was killed. I'm going back to my hood. Jesus says, come out of your hood. I want you to stay in Jerusalem. You know, every place we're trying to go as a community, as a collection, really of what God is trying to, who God is trying to call us to become. To stay in the hard places, remain in Jerusalem, seek downward mobility, become who we must to build God's world. Everybody say remain in Jerusalem. Jesus tells them to remain in Jerusalem, and they're having this conversation. Okay, you're telling us to stay in Jerusalem, but we want to know when's the time that we're going to get power. When do we get a chance to stick it back to the Romans? Has that not been the conversation over the last several months? On, on all sides of all these different political orientations. And everybody's waiting for an opportunity to stick it to somebody. Right? We're just, we're just ready for it. Right? I'm a justice dude. Right? So if, if I don't allow, you know, Jesus to kind of hold my anchor a little bit, I can turn into that monster. Right? But I'm just ready to stick it to him. No, wait for my opportunity. November 6th is coming. I'm, we're coming. Right? And it's not that politics don't matter or that political realities and the way in which we need to change structures and systems very much so matter. But the question is, who do we allow ourselves to become while we are in the process of making that world? And Jesus tells his disciples, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has set in his own authority. He's recognizing you all are asking a conversation about power. So he's like, we can have that conversation. But you also need to recognize your position and your place in the middle of it. You see, many times in the presence of resurrection stories, God's trying to talk to us about who we need to become, and we're still asking questions from a place of who we've always been. God's trying to open up our eyes to get a new vision of ourselves and a new imagination of who we can become as a people, and we're always only relating to the places that we've been, who we've always been, because that's where we find security and success. See, empire teaches us that once you get success and once you get some kind of status, you do everything that you can within your power to defend that. So you can make sure nobody ever takes it away from you. I don't want them to take away my power. I don't want them to take away my money. I don't want them to take away my status. But then we end up using violence, verbal violence, physical violence, political violence, theological violence to protect our status quo when God is always trying to pull the world forward and calling us to become new versions of ourselves who can join God in creating that new world. But that means we've got to be in a position to see it, to see what God's trying to do. That's the whole, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3, he's like, unless you become born again, unless you become a new human being, you can't even see the world that God is making. God's trying to do something brand new, and you're trying to figure out how to do the old thing. The prophet Isaiah 43 says, behold, I am doing a new thing. But here's the thing. Can you see it? Are you willing 
to take the risk to see the new thing that God might be doing, even when the new thing God's doing might not be in your own self-interest? Or are we only willing to follow a Jesus that's willing to play his role in our opera and keep being the Scandinavian dude in the bathrobe holding up the gang symbols? Which is always interesting because I'm trying to figure out how Jesus went from being a Middle Eastern agitator to becoming a Scandinavian CEO. But that's a whole nother sermon, Bible study for a whole nother time. Jesus tells them it's not for them to know the times and seasons that the Father are set by his own authority. But rather, Jesus is saying, you all are going to have to trust God in the middle of the struggle. You're going to have to lean into who God is calling you to become, even though you don't know exactly how becoming that new person and becoming that new people is going to get you to the solution. But you're going to have to have faith. An acronym I was introduced to years ago, faith, full assurance in the heart. You're going to have to have full assurance in the heart that as God is calling us into this space, it's because God has a purpose. God needs us to become a people so that God could bring about something that we could never on our own imagine. That means we got to see differently. I mean, what, what would happen if you begin to see differently? And, and, and what would happen if, if the only way that you could be saved is for everyone to be saved. What would happen if there was no such thing as personal salvation and there was only collective salvation? How would that change how you prayed? How would that change how you worshiped? How would that change how you read the scripture if the only way you could be saved is if everyone was saved? What would it look like if we rediscovered that we are radically interconnected? that our futures are inextricably tied together, not as a social or political identity, but as a deeply spiritual, theological reality. And that the world that God is making is about reconciling all people in all things, which means that we're gonna have to be willing to allow the spirit of God to call us from our tribal corners into the places where we take risks where it's not always going to go right, where it's oftentimes going to be very painful so that God can make the world anew. Maybe it's more than just spiritual life insurance. Maybe God's calling us to be a kind of people who build for something that is coming out of God's imagination. Hebrews 11 shows us it says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, built an ark to the saving of his house, and Noah's wife and his children, and the creation survived because of what Noah built. When God in the scriptures is telling Noah about the ark and he's describing rain, rain at that time, according to the story, has not shown up yet. Noah's called to build in view of a reality he's not seen. But who do we need to become? They're not simply trying to build out of the limitations of our own imagination but are people that are building out of the imagination of God. I like to call this notion cathedral thinking. When I go over to Europe, and it's just very interesting, I think a lot of the great structures around the world are this way. Now look at these cathedrals and many of these institutions or these edifices took 200 to 250 years to build. And I sat there and I looked at them and I said, what kind of mind does it take to draw up plans for a 250 year build that you know you will never step into? 
What kind of mind or person or heart do you have to become to get up every day to take that shower, to rub on your olive oil and put on your clothes and go into work in a building you know you will never step into, but your grandchildren will? That maybe God is calling us not just to build for something that we're going to be able to cash in our lifetime, but that God is calling us into a way of being and into a way of becoming a people that will create a kind of story that those who come from behind us will step into. This is what faith is about. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the Paul, the writer, is saying that they live in faith, not by sight, not by what they see. We live in a place of faith, and we recognize, as Ecclesiastes 3 says, that there is a time and a season under heaven for everything that God is doing. What God is asking of us is to trust and to have faith, to follow God's ways, even when it's not apparent that God's ways are measurably moving in the political direction we desire. We must recognize that we think of power in broken ways because of our human limitation. But God, the source of power, is calling us into a new way. In this passage, as it gets towards the end, Jesus tells them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father set in his own authority. But he, he recognizes this is a power conversation, but he says you will receive power, not the power you think you need. But you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. I'm Pentecostal, so I say ghosts. You know, I don't know why we call it the Holy Ghost in Pentecostal church and everybody else calls it spirit. But that was a theological joke that probably doesn't matter. But in any case, <laughs> you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Right? This word power in the Greek is that word dunamis. For we derive the word dynamo or dynamite, dynamic. He says you're going to receive a dynamic experience when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But it's not just for you to be great. It's not for you to go get that fantastic job. It's not for you to just have swag. It's not for you to just be able to advance your own agenda. He says you're going to receive this dynamic power that comes on you. This, this notion of, of dynamism and dynamite is about blowing up explos explosivity, about blowing up what currently exists so that you can be a witness. Could it be that the Spirit of God wants to engage us not to simply bankroll who we already are? or protect what it is we think needs to happen, but that God, no matter where you are in the story of your life, is trying to blow up your version of yourself so that you can be a witness. That witness comes from the Greek word martus, where we also get the word martyr. That God is trying to blow up who you are so that you can be one who loses your life in service to a different cause. Maybe that's what this following Jesus thing is about rather than just trying to not go to hell and figure out how to walk and carry my Starbucks mar caramel macchiato with uh, four pumps of sugar-free caramel syrup and foam on the top, right? You know, I know how we do. I'm just trying to figure out how to follow Jesus with, with, without causing the, the least amount of disruption to my life. <laughs> I remember I was pastoring uh, several years ago uh, here in, in, uh, in Oakland, and uh, at least this guy, I mean, he was brutally honest. It was so funny. Because we, we went and did a meeting, we were coming back, and, and you know, I was uber charismatic Pentecostal at that time, and, uh, which is all right. You know, we swinging from the chandeliers and all that stuff. But in any case, we, we were coming back to the church, and I told him, I said, man, because I, you know, I know, like you know, you want more of God. And I remember he said, no, I don't, you know. Like, 
I said, I, I really don't want more of God. Like, actually, like, I just want to have a nice lady friend and, like, a house and, and like, a good job. But, you know, I don't really want more of God. It was hilarious, you know. Um, at least he was honest. But, you know, I don't know where I was going. But in any case, I just had to tell that story. <laughs> this notion is that, that God is trying to call us to be a witness. We're going to be people who have to die to the version of ourself that we have so we can come alive to the identity that God wants with a different kind of power. A power to do what Luke 4 says, speaking of what Isaiah says, power to proclaim good news to the poor, power to proclaim freedom for the incarcerated and detained, power to proclaim recovery of sight for those who've lost their vision, power to set oppressed people on the margins of society free, power to announce that the reign of white supremacy and terror is coming to an end, power to decree a new season of peace and justice and have power to manifest it out. That is who God is trying to create us to become, I believe. But we're not going to do that simply by political persuasion. We're not going to do it just by theological orientation. We're going to do that by allowing the spirit to blow us up and allow God to reconstitute us. Jesus says, when you become who you must by way of the spirit, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the spot you're in, in Judea, the place where you're comfortable, and Samaria, the place you avoid, and everywhere else. Where's your Jerusalem? What spot are you in? Where's your Judea? Where's the place you're from that you always like to go retreat to because it's safe? Where's your Samaria? You found a way to avoid it so good that you don't even remember it's there and everywhere else. God's trying to reconcile all people in all things. That's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8. Anyone who is trying to save their own life will lose it. But if you lose your life for me and the sake of my message, you'll find your life. Somebody say, be a witness. That the, this idea of being a witness is, I want to submit for you, is that it's, it's not just this notion of walking around and somehow proselytizing and getting everybody to believe what we believe. But wait, maybe the notion of being a witness is about bearing witness to the reality of who Jesus was and is, being willing to sacrifice and lose our success, status, power, and privilege, and be in service into the world that God is seeking to create. A world that destroys patriarchy. A world that destroys religious supremacy. A world that can really destroy hatred. A world that can really increase space where everybody belongs, where everybody thrives, where everyone has agency over their lives. I say, Ben, you just, you've been smoking hash with Jesus down in Judea. That's not the world we're going to live in. Well, who do we need to become? Because over the millennia, God continues to pull the world forward. And he's calling us to be who we need to be. That joins God in making that world. God is inviting us to make the world not that we want, but to be servants of the world God wants. God's calling us to be a witness, making space for all, a witness that doesn't cling to our own prosperity, but rather shares our excess with the under-resourced, a witness who's building arcs of safety amidst the danger of floods of despair. That means that this Tuesday, as many of us 
will be participating with our societal and democratic duty. There's an invitation for us to think about those of us who have privilege, as I do myself, to not vote our own self-interests. Rather, we should vote the interests of those most marginalized around us. If God's trying to save the whole world, what does it mean for us to vote the interests of those most marginalized around us? Because the scriptures do, do say in Proverbs 31, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. As I close, God is calling us to be representatives for the world that he's making, that God's making, because God's not a man. It's all right. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> I felt like suck, suck the air. Somebody was like, you know, I was about to hit the ground, right? <laughs> I can't promise that we'll see the world we want in our lifetime, but neither did our ancestors who were witnesses living lives fueled by the Holy Spirit. And they laid a foundation under which our feet rest. And so now may we respond to our moment, not to do what it is that we think needs to be done, but to become who God is calling us to become. May we have the courage to not pull away from the way in which God might be trying to blow us up, but may we have infectious curiosity to lean forward into seeing what is the new thing that God is doing. And every time I see that moment that brings out the worst in me, the monster I've been taught to be, the imperial way that I've been shaped to protect and function, that I will join God in the changing of this world. And I close with this scripture because we don't stand alone. Words attributed to Paul or many of the writers in Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. There's no one else coming over the hill to rescue us from where we are. Take 15 seconds and just look at the person sitting next to you. Don't worry, they won't hit you, I promise. And you actually know them better than I do. Some of you, some of you roll together and you won't even look at them. You look... <laughs> we'll see each other in the parking lot, right? <laughs> but we're it. And for some reason, God has chosen in this time, in this moment, with all the craziness that's happening, to birth you into this moment, to create an opportunity for you to join God in building the world that God is making. So may we not be those who simply want to read stories. May we be those who follow God and God uses us to write stories to build the world that God is making. Be a witness. Bow your heads with me.
Lord, we don't know how to get to the place. Many of us, and I will confess, Lord, that whatever places I have gotten into, I feel like I stumbled into it, made a whole lot of mistakes, still making mistakes. The pain and the fear of trying to navigate how to join you in the world you're trying to make. When we've also got life smacking us up in the face, sickness, pain, relationships going awry. Comes hard, Lord, to figure out how to hold it all. But Lord, we are thankful to you because we know that we're not having to do it on our own. But you sent us the Holy Spirit, the comforter, to lead and guide us into all that is true. So Lord, I pray that you would reveal for us what is the just next step that you're asking us to make. And you're not asking us, Lord, to figure it out, to be able to write the whole story, a manifesto of where we're going, but you're simply inviting us to make a step, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds and our hearts to think about who it is that we need to become to love more deeply, to be more generous, to hold more mercy, to humanize those who we other, to be more humble, that we create space in our lives for your spirit to come and bring us into newer versions of who you're calling us to be. Lord, may you help us catch a vision of the cathedral you're building, a house that isn't made with hands, but something that we know is necessary to save this world. But we know it starts with us. So Lord, I pray your spirit gives us the next step to be a witness. Lord, we love you. We're learning more and more to trust you. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.